1: Sangram here. Welcome to another fun takeover series. As as most of you know, every Tuesday and Thursday, we have started to find amazing leaders who are doing great podcasts. And we want to partner up because guess what? They have a lot of times great content that you may not never hear about. And if you like it, you can go and subscribe to that. And I know people call me crazy to do that. But I think if you learn more together, you'll be better. That is one of our goals with it. So this time, A very good friend of mine, David Lewis, who is the CEO and founder of DemandGen, is again, just like last year, collaborating with me on this amazing series. David, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you, Sangram. So glad to be back. I feel like whenever you and I do these collaborations, it's a little bit like, uh, well, maybe Justin Bieber and Chance the Rapper. Which one do you want to be? I I can't Uh, sing, so I'll I'll take Chance.
1: Well, the fun part is people are going to hear this every single time when we do the entire series, because you're going to have 10 of your episode, the best of the best episodes, and you're calling it the Marketing Power Player. So Dave, just share a little bit about who you're interviewing, what these uh, episodes are all going to be about.
2: Will do. Thank you so much, guys, for uh, for being with me on this TakeOver series. I'm really proud to bring you guys some incredible leaders from our series. If you guys are not already subscribing to Demand Gen Radio, look it up. These are some of the top 10 episodes that ran in 2020. And you've got people like Heidi Malin, who is one of the top CMOs uh, around the world. Career lessons from her, Naomi Liu, who is over at EFI. She runs marketing operations there. And she's talking about a marketing automation migration that they did. Michael Madden over at Adobe on how Marketo actually does demand generation. Folks like Joe Payone at Splunk on how to build a successful demand generation strategy. David Eldred on the power of marketing driving revenue and Rob Boyce around ramping up marketing during a downturn. So many other great episodes as well, but just a really, I, I hand selected a series of episodes that not only did great on our channel, Sangram, but the content is so relevant and so important to your audience.
1: Oh man, I, I love that! I can't wait to jump into it. This is a full-on series that I really wanted people to take a take a look into. So, folks, uh, if you are listening to this introduction for the first time, just know this is a whole series. In the show notes, you're going to see more information about how do you go and check out David's. Uh, radio Uh, you can also look at all the youtube series that they have started which seems to be going really really well so all those details will be in the show notes it will also tell you is this the first of the series or the 10th of the series so make sure you check the show notes out and make sure you follow dave lewis dave thank you so much for doing this thank you guys
2: All right. Welcome to another episode of Demand Gen Radio. Thanks for joining everybody. And thanks for tuning in. Today on the program, I am joined by Brian Canopy. And Brian and I have known each other, I don't know, it feels like about five years now. We met, uh, we met in a meeting, found out we had a lot of similar interests. And the reason I want to have Brian on the program today, uh, a couple of reasons. One is I know a lot of you Uh, who reach out to me and a lot of you that are going through some transitional times are thinking about what's next in your career and what do you need to do to advance your career. And Brian's made a fairly recent change in his career, moving from a role in marketing operations to now uh, heading up uh, revenue marketing. So I want to talk about that. But first, Brian, thanks for joining. How are you out there in Colorado?
0: I am great. Thank you for having me.
2: Well, it's good to have you on the program. You've got a wealth of knowledge in marketing operations and uh certainly making a, a career move from running infrastructure and running operations to uh driving demand, driving revenue is is a big uh, pivot. And as you know, I connected you with uh, another gentleman that, that we were conversing on LinkedIn and, and his whole thing was he's working at a large company, really, really large software tech company, as you know. And he's been in marketing operations uh, for a good part of his career. And he reached out. He had two questions for me. One was, you know, Dave, what do you think about me moving to a smaller company, a, a more startup uh, company? And what do you think about moving from marketing operations into uh, a revenue role, demand generation role? And I said, well, I know just the guy you need to talk to who's done the same thing. But then said, let's do a podcast, podcast on it. Um, Brian, I got to ask you, have you been out flying your drone at all? Because I did the other day. I got to tell you about it since we last talked. Did
0: you? No, I have not been unfortunate. I feel I've been heads down with everything going on and you know, trying to get ahead of work and uh, trying to balance between work life home here. Uh, But not yet. Where did you fly?
2: So I I drove down to San Ramon uh, and I brought my drone and I parked in the Target parking lot because I knew on the news and from the local news that uh, there was going to be protesting going on near the San Ramon city center. So I thought, you know, that might be nice for the community to see what peaceful protesting looks like, because I knew we would have that in our area. So flew out from Target and, and flew over to the city center and got some amazing shots that I put out uh a little bit on social media and sent into the the news media, because it was very cool to see some nice, peaceful protesting. So great, great shots. That's, a, that's the first time I flown my drone in like a year. And um, it was a good excuse to get back out.
0: Well, now is the time. I think a lot of people are out flying their drone in places they typically couldn't when society is back to normal.
2: Yeah, was there was a lot of people in the parking lot, including the, the the security guard for the parking that came over and was like, "That's so cool! Look how clear <laughs> that looks and such." So, you and I both love technology, have some similar uh, passions. D- tell me a little bit, uh, Brian, because I think it's, it, you know, we know each other from life together at NetApp and, and some similar hobbies. But before NetApp, talk a little bit about your origin story and, and how you got to where uh, you are today.
0: Yeah, sure. Yeah, it's it has been about five years. Time flies. Um, you know, so m- my kind of origin story started in sales, which is, you know, it's inside sales, which is typically kind of the new age mailroom, you know, starting at the <laughs> bottom. Um, and, you know... It, pure sales route for the first about five, six years of my career. Uh, and I was in inside sales, you know, 80 calls a day uh, measured on number of meetings we set, number of customers we sign up for the service. And what we were selling was audio and web conferencing, which, you know, at the time was a really booming, great business. And now, you know, if you're 20 years from now, if you tell someone that there was a phone number, you could dial and get a thousand people on the line and everyone could talk to each other, they'd look at you like you have 10 heads. Uh, it's just one of those things that uh, technology has improved so fast that um, you know that the old tech is no longer necessary, which is really a, an important kind of change that we all have seen in you know marketing tech and sales tech and how fast everything moves. But you know from from spending about three, five, four years actually in, um, in inside sales, I moved into more of a sales ops role. It was a good opportunity for me. You know, I looked back on the sales inside sales role. And at the time I was just so excited to get out of it. But now I look back at, those were such fond memories uh, about, you know, how to, how to work, how to team, how to talk to customers. Um, but so, you know, in the sales ops role, you know, it was pretty typical working for the EVP of sales, measuring pipeline, forecasts, doing some territory alignments, commissions, there's just basic sales ops. And that's really at the in, in inflection point for me when I, really started shifting into more of a marketing-focused role. We had been acquiring a number of companies over really a six, six-quarter 6 span. And my role shifted into supporting and aligning our sales and marketing teams of these acquisition companies. And at that time, I was really getting excited about... Uh, measuring the whole funnel view of you know not just the interest and identification of a prospect, but the engagement at, whether it's marketing and sales and all the way to the transaction. Um, and you know we we were we were kind of new at the time, thinking about this whole revenue cycle as a whole. And frankly, that was in a day and age where marketing tech was you know light years behind where we're at today. So things were a little simpler then.
2: Mm-hmm. Wait,
0: so, um, you know, after uh, about three years running sales and marketing ops for, for uh, Intercall and it's part of its business units, uh, I took an opportunity that I just could not pass up to work for a hot startup in Boulder, Colorado named SolidFire. And in fact, we come to find out our founder and CEO is an old friend of yours.
2: Yeah, well, friend friend may be a stretch, but absolutely colleague, uh, David Wright, your founder and CEO of SolidFire, probably one of the smartest guys that I have ever worked with. Um, That goes back to 1999, 2000 time period. A lot of people don't know this, uh, who've got to know me on the podcast, but in my origin story, uh, I loved video games growing up. In fact, that's how I got into technology, writing video games uh at 11 years old and published uh, a few video games that, there was a big game when i was a kid called uh, Ultima and it was a role playing game and the first piece of software i ever wrote was uh, a, a hacking tool for Ultima so that you could be, uh, beef up your character and and get more gold and more health and and uh, what you needed to be successful in this RPG so uh went into computer science and and moved out of computer science into marketing realized that there was a lot smarter people in the world uh, and Dave writes one of those. So we, we synced up when his company acquired mine, which was, uh, we, we invented VoIP for video gaming. Uh, and that came from my wife being upset one night that I was going to tie up the the phone lines for hours playing video games. And I said, well, you're going to talk to your mom for like an hour. And she's like, well, why don't, while you're waiting, uh, you go figure out a way to talk over the internet. I'm like, that's genius. Like nobody's nobody's done that yet. Okay. And, and uh, within three months, we had a beta of our product called Roger Wilco. A year later, we had millions of people using it and uh, GameSpy went on to acquire us and kind of the rest is history because you look at what we're doing today. And, and I don't know, a multiplayer video game that people don't use voice. So Dave was, uh, that's how I got to know Dave. And it actually surprised me that he moved into you know, kind of the solid state networking appliance uh, business, but not, no surprise that he built an incredibly successful business and one that was acquired by NetApp, which is how you became part of the the NetApp team.
0: Yeah, exactly right. Well, they say every invention has a has a problem and a really good cause. I think uh, that sounds like a good cause to me.
2: Yeah. Um, well, the, it is a good cause. I still play video games. I was, I was, I was grinding the other night and trying to get to level one fifty five before the new season comes out of the game that I'm playing and, and using voice. Cause you know, I, I haven't gotten away from that. The guy goes, goes how old are you? I said, <laughs> I'm in my fifties. And he goes, and you're still playing video games. And I'm like, yeah, and you will be too. Cause exactly everybody has a game, every, and, oh, you're, and you're playing games yourself. I know it.
0: Mm -hmm. I remember as a kid, my sister got the original Nintendo all boxed up, and I played the heck out of that thing. And I expected as I matured and got older, I would stop playing video games, but it doesn't stop.
2: No, everybody needs it. Everybody needs an outlet and uh whether you're watching TV and and immerse yourself in in a break from life or you play a video game. I love the social aspects of it and I actually still play with some guys from from work Ron Scarfano on our team who runs who runs sales operations. Mm. Ron and I play together uh quite often. He's he's a, he's a better player than I am. It's good good to play with him. So speaking of ops, you you and I okay, you both of us came from a sales background, moved into marketing operations roles. And what was, um, what was the pivot that had you go from sales operations into, into marketing operations?
0: Yeah, the pivot really happened just before my transition to SolidFire. You know, I spent a lot of time digging into the marketing performance data, uh, setting expectations and goals, aligning it with sales. And as I shifted it into SolidFire, my responsibility was running both sales and marketing operations. And our CMO uh, was is really an important, critical mentor for me really throughout my career, and, and especially over the last few years. And he had a vision of bringing both these teams under one house. And if you think about it, you know, from a systems, a tools, technology process perspective, it's, it, it's a forcing function to really bridge that age old divide between sales and marketing yeah. and create a really cohesive message back out to the the teams. And it's, you know, as a startup, you don't really have, so to speak, corporate functions, but there was an old Harvard business review article that said that 10% of its respondents said that it's corporate functions, such as it marketing and sales actually were effective. So, you know, if you think about, you know, trying to bring that together from the get go, uh, that's what was our objective was. And really it was successful. And you know we had, a pretty thriving group of of data driven marketers and and sales folks, and you know, starting to weave the conversation about marketing's contribution to sales in with your sales leaders and, and the sales executives, and driving that into their standard talk track really helps make the process and, and the alignment so much simpler.
2: Yeah, you 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 bring up uh, a good point around sales ups and marketing ups and the blend. Uh, James Whitemore, your, your CMO there at NetApp, like you said, he has that, he has that passion. By the way, I think the dinner that you, James and I had uh, in San Jose was like the last one before the lockdown. Um, it, was. it feels like <laughs> it. Um, it. What we're seeing a lot of clients do is actually create a function called revenue operations. It's a, it's a trend. And I think it's a trend that's going to continue because we all talk about the alignment of sales and marketing and the importance of more, the integration of sales and marketing and sales operations uh, revenue operations is just that, a real integration. So, you know, you, you have a, um, you have your sales background, you have the, the soft skills from that. Uh, you've got your marketing skills. Um, I want for, for everybody listening, what I'd love to dive deep into is around that since, since your career path can take you in an operational role or a demand generation role. And I was just talking with Josh Hill, who and he and I are going to do a podcast, um, next week. And, and Josh is in operations as well. And when I said to him, "Hey, in terms of the programs that you're doing over there at Ring Central, because they're a phenomenal work from home platform, right? Platform we use at Gen, we were talking about whether marketing operations is even keeping tune to what campaigns and programs are even being run. I mean, from like a content and programmer's perspective, because many operations group, it's, it's all about the systems and the infrastructure. So for everybody listening, what I'd love. Brian to unveil for you because I know he's got it is what are those skills and expertise if you want to go down the operations track and then for someone like Brian who's just now gone back into revenue marketing um, how does he leverage that background and that expertise into his role there so let's start off with you know what you learned and experience in operations and what you think of those skill sets and expertise that someone needs to uh, succeed there in case someone's not either considered that role or is in that role and wondering are they at the top of their game
0: yeah it, those are all really good questions, and that, and that question alone could be its own podcast. Um, you know, if, if I try to think of the number the top three skills that are required to be really effective in, in an operations type role, whether it's sales or marketing operations, I think the number one thing is, is staying focused. Um, you know as an operations person. You are sort of, sort of in the engine room. We joke, you know, we're kind of plumbers. No one uh, really likes plumbers and and they only get, plumbers only get phone calls when things break. Um, so, you know, as as an ops person, you know, really staying focused on the biggest opportunities that can make the biggest impact for your, your function or your company and making sure you block out a lot of the noise. Um, prioritization is key. And you know, I, if you, if I look back in my career, a few things that you know, I, I wish I would have known is, everyone has the same amount of time in a day and some mm-hmm. people are much more effective at using that time than others. And you know, Peter Drucker has a lot of, uh, has a lot of insight around using time, but time and focus. Um, somebody, a mentor of mine in the past that had said, what interests my boss fascinates me. And you know that's just a, a kind of a case in point. It, typically the executive staff has a really clear purview of where you're headed, where you're going, what's important, um, so making sure that you're really aligning with them, staying focused on your top priorities.
2: Well, and I, that's, that's, I was kind of tie to tie those together. And I don't know if you guys over at NetApp or when you were at SolidFire, if they did like Meyer Briggs, uh, or, or discovery insights profiling, we do that for all of our employees. And so when you're saying this and I'm listening, I'm thinking, yeah, if someone's thinking about a career in operations, are they, you know, kind of that ADD, um, need lots of new things and need constant stimulation of something new, or can they stay on track and follow process and work a project through from beginning to end? You, you, you and I over the last year have done a major, uh, standup of, of Marketo over there in the cloud group. And, and now migration, um, you had to get that project done in like four weeks timeframe to start showing results. There was no, there was no wiggle room to get off track and, and, you know, uh, you know, squirrel, Squirrel, open project over here. Let's do this. That You didn't have a chance for that. So I love what you're sharing, which is, you know, being so process driven and being able to stay focused and keep your priorities. Great, great advice.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And really just, yeah, I was going to mention process, but you bring up something else is. You know, expectation setting, uh, everyone, you know, some say that the business is all about setting expectations, um, and, and achieving those expectations and keeping them in line. And, you know, the project that we worked together, uh, we had very clear expectations up front, what this would be and what this wouldn't be. But what really helped us is that our, this was sponsored by our CEO, who those of you who don't know is George Curry, and, and he is just a true salt of the earth, earth type of person, uh, and I can't commend him enough how much uh, and how well he's leading us through these kind of tough times as a global economy and uh, how he's standing up for really what's important. And I think uh, he's just a critical leader. But, you know, the, the, the point for, for this project was he allowed us to stay focused and he and he forced us to stay focused. And he said, you need to block out all the other noise. And if anyone asks you to do anything else, tell them you're working on this. And this is how you're this is your milestone and this is your expectation. And yeah. all of the rest can follow. Once once you plant your flag on the ground and you show some success, all the rest can creep in and you could reprioritize. But if you don't get one thing right, you can't get the rest of them right.
2: That is great advice from George. And he also lets you guys operate as a startup within a really mature organization. You guys needed agility and freedom and a lot of... Uh, a lot of the constraints that normally face a more mature organization to be removed so that you can move at the speed that you want and either fail fast or show quick wins, uh, which is, which you guys did. Um, and, and kudos because it was a very, very successful engagement and certainly led to now this advancement in your career. So what else between staying focused and, and process oriented, do you think are essential skills and expertise needed in, in an operations role?
0: Yeah, you know, I I guess I could double click on that process because I think it is important. And I I think in many cases, you talk to a marketer uh, or salesperson about process and they cringe and they think bureaucracy and they think uh, time and slowing everything down. But the reality is, you know, process should be intended to do two things. It should be intended to eliminate variables in the data that you collect and create repeatable repeatable experiences that you can go accelerate. And if you don't have a process, anything that you go and try to achieve takes an incredible amount of brute force. And I, you know, I'm not here saying that we are excellent every process we run and I am a process engineer in many cases, but I I do know that there is a a minimum element of process that everyone needs to stay aligned, to stay organized and to move forward. And, you know, process again is not something that should be an inhibitor or a kind of a, a glass ceiling or a brick wall. It's It should be an enabler for good data, better decisions, and ultimately faster execution.
2: Good advice. And so you got all this expertise, you crush it in operations, and then you decide I'm going to make a move. And I don't know if it was a decision or it was, you know, your mentors and coaches coming to you and say, "Hey Brian, we like to put you any place we need success. Uh, you you're now in a revenue marketing role." So tell me how that came to be and I'm I'm curious as a follow-up question how can be do you think it's a natural path? Do you think that there's an operations career path for people and and a different path which is in demand generation and revenue marketing because you're, you're you're you you've, you are flip-flopping. You were in sales, which is revenue generation you then went into operations and now you're moving back on the marketing side. It's more the air force of demand generation than, than the soldier, uh, the army side of it. Mm -hmm. What do you think?
0: Yeah, that's a good analogy. You know, it it was, to me, it was my plan all along, frankly, I, I, in college I went and my degree was in interpersonal communications with, a minor in marketing. And my passion was really learning the buying process. And I took a lot of psychology and sociology classes. And it it was very interesting to me on the psychology of buying and decision making and consumption and 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 consumer decisions. And you know, Roger Dooley, who you recently had on the podcast, uh, you know, has really well documented this this these ideas and is fascinating work. And that was a really great listen.
2: Yeah. He's, he's, he's a genius in, in neuromarketing. And I was just bringing it up this morning with Rob Bonham, who's, who's our, uh, VP of sales and, and is on the program with me regularly. And he and I were talking about a particular engagement opportunity that he has and how that prospect needed specifics, really details in the engagement, which we talked about tangible that in neuromarketing, uh, that marketing claims need to be backed up by facts and figures. Uh, for certain types of buyers in most situations. And um we were talking about how uh, those specifics and details are needed in this sales cycle. So mm-hmm. yeah, Roger's the master. If those of you haven't listened to that episode with Roger, go listen to it. It's not so much about neuromarketing it's Roger talking about friction and, and the war on friction to get that out of your buying experience, but he's got great thought leadership. So be sure to look yeah. him up after you listen to that podcast.
0: It is. It's fascinating stuff, and you know, for me, uh, I was in college, uh, just had graduated college during very uh, relational time uh, during uh, the the crisis in two thousand six with the subprime mortgages, and a lot of my peers didn't have jobs, and everyone was going back to grad school. And I always said if I was going to go to grad school, it would be around some of the, the ideas that Roger had presented. So, you know, for me, again, it was. Really, in my roots, that I wanted to be in sales. I thought I was going to be a bag carrying, briefcase carrying salesperson in my career. But you know, as as I moved into gaining kind of corporate influence and starting to understand executive communications and understanding time and priorities, uh, I realized that the ops path was a, was not just interesting, but it was incredibly foundational. Uh, it. In ops, you learn about how to use data, how to make decisions, how to have a process, how to communicate. And all of those things, no matter where you go, whether it's a revenue marketing role where you're responsible for you know, all facets of demand generation and enablement of your sales teams, or it's more of a direct seller role, the skills that you learn in ops can absolutely impact you in such a, a great way. So I think it, it's a, it's again, similar to the way inside sales is a really great stepping stone teaching to foundations, uh, operations, sales, and marketing. I feel are the very same.
2: Yeah. We uh, Sabrina, who I mentioned earlier, our, our head of marketing operations, we do, we do a biweekly sales and marketing meeting. Uh, and often the agenda on that meeting is her, Sharing a best practice or a process that sales needs to follow, and one that we did recently was the importance that when you create an opportunity in Salesforce to create it from a contact record, to actually Mm -hmm. be on the contact record and then click create opportunity, so that you associate the contact record with the opportunity, which provides all the attribution stuff that you know as an operations person because you know. The stitching of all of that and, you know, the, the fact that we have to train sales is because they don't understand necessarily all those uh, that that connective tissue, if you will, of how all this needs to work on an infrastructure standpoint. You know, shame on maybe Salesforce in a way that that, you know, the application doesn't natively address some of this stuff uh, and certainly tools and technologies, as you know, have been put into place to make sure those gaps are addressed because always relying on on human behavior. To do attribution is not a best practice, mm. but it's good <laughs> training. So, I mean, I, I want to I take it to then the question on, like, from your experiences, whether in sales or operations or both, how do you think that background is going to help you in this role now in revenue marketing?
0: Hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, the data is the key. Uh, Data, spreadsheets, um, models—you know—the number one component of making good decisions these days is arming not only yourself and your team with data, but also your buyers with data. So you know everything that I think about is very data-heavy, data-centric, and you know it's—it is a non-traditional path. You know, I—I joke that um, typical revenue marketers or people who run demand programs come from the arts and crafts side, not the analytics side, yeah. uh, and, which is, you know, an area that is, is new to me for sure. Uh, but at the same time, I, th- I believe that the, the idea of understanding how to use data, how to, uh, relate that data to outcomes that you expect uh, is a, a real key uh, component to, to my success, uh, and which is coupled with just the relations with sales and really understanding how to communicate with sales. What matters to sales, and you know, frankly, if you tell them how many leads you're going to give them, that doesn't really matter until you tell them what the outcome could be. Uh, so, you know, I, I, to me, I, I always start with a A collaborative approach with the sales leadership, with the product leadership, and with marketing leadership to understand what we really are trying to accomplish across all the sources of of demand and revenue. And that's really where you should kind of set your foot in the ground and say, where are we going to be successful? Where are we going to win? What's the play we're going to run? How are we going to measure it? And how are we all going to work together to put all of our force behind that effort rather than sales, marketing, product, all doing their own thing?
2: A couple of thoughts uh, for folks listening, because I, I do think these are very distinct career paths. I mean, can they intersect and can you flow back and forth? You can. Like, I know myself, Brian, if I was to go back in my career, and I'm going to want to ask you about advice you have for your your former self or younger self. If I went to go back in my career and I knew that all this, let, let's say I was, um, let's say my career was now like seven years old and I'm thinking about my career path. I would make a very intentional move for myself to either take a operations and infrastructure path or the more creative demand generation path. And I know for myself now how much I love technology, that it would be more on the operational side, marketing operations and such, because I love all the infrastructure and, and putting the pieces together. That said, I think for you to be effective on either side, you need foundational knowledge and experience that will help you be better. So we talked about neuromarketing. Man, if I knew and had studied neuromarketing earlier on in my career, which has only been around for like the past decade, but if I had that expertise, I would have been that much better of a demand generation marketer, better as a CMO to really understand, you know, why the human brain makes buying decisions and how to push that mental buy button there. So I don't think you should, my advice is not be black or white operations or revenue marketing, but get a little bit of both, but understand that there's there's a path that you're on. And I, I applaud you for, you know, moving to a different side and, and developing some new skills and expertise and leveraging what you have there. So uh, my advice to my younger self is is uh, learn neuromarketing, uh, which, which I went on to do and study. Um, in fact, for those of you who have not dived in Again, grab Roger Dooley's book. Another book that I love is a book called Neuromarketing, written by the guys at salesbrain.com. Uh, the book cover looks like a target ad, like the the concentric uh, target red circle. So grab that one if you don't have it. You're in demand generation, creative marketing. You have to read that book. And if you just want to be a better communicator and a better influencer, read that book. Uh, so I, I would have given that advice to myself on the creative side and on the re- operation side, my advice would have been is, um, Around having a blueprint, around having a plan for what the infrastructure needs of the organization are. I think, you know, there's, there's marketing automation, there's CRM, and there's certainly analytics tools and data tools, table stake infrastructure. But then there's like 7,000 or more other tools. And it's so easy, uh, to do the squirrel, to find a shiny new toy and go, Oh, let's try this and let's try this and to be more disciplined about it. So I would have, I would have given advice to myself that, you know, kind of instead of random acts of Martech, to be very structured in what the approach is. And I still see a lot of people just grabbing new MarTech tools because, Hey, we got to do ABM or now we got to do this and we got to do that. And really what's, what's the plan? As you said, what's the expectations and the needs of the organization before you just try a bunch of different things. Cause before you know it, you're out of time, you're out of bandwidth. Mm-hmm. You can't, you can't manage all these tools and get everything done. So what about you? What would you give advice to, to others and to yourself in terms of uh, lessons on your career path?
0: Yeah. It, I- what you said is spot on. I think those would be in there. If I, I, I probably add, you know, one, one more plus a kind of add on to your, to your learning one. You know, I think it wasn't until later in my career, kind of after I got out of you know, Chicago and spending all my free time out, you know, with my friends, uh, I really started focusing and learning, uh, about this industry and things move so quick. You can't learn everything. Uh, but, you know, reading books, you know, Roger's book, you know, Measure What Matters from John Doerr, Peter Drucker's writings, there's just so much to learn. And in, a, in an era where innovation is, is at light speed right now, especially for marketing technology, it's important to really understand the foundations. Um, and, and your point about new tech is so so right. You know, spending anybody who runs any sort of ops group probably has someone once a week coming to them saying, there's this new technology, this new SaaS pro- product, only $1,000 a month or whatever the number is. Uh, it, you're right, shiny new toy. But if you don't stay focused on delivering on what you have, all the other add-on tools really won't drive value. And yeah, you're going to run out of time. But in addition, you're just going to be confused. So if you really focus on, on getting done what's right uh, with the tools that you have, maximizing those institutionalizing and making sure everyone knows how to use them in the right ways to use them. That's the time you continue to turn on, you know, other, other things. I think mean, there's just one other kind of more tactical element. As I thought about, what I wish I would have known. And I I wish, I mean, frankly, I wish I could go back to my first 100 emails I've ever sent as a a business person and see what they were, what they looked like. But, you know, executive communication skills are just so critical and very overlooked. Um, You know, whether it's an email, uh, anytime you get an email with a body, uh, uh, multiple paragraphs, you can't read it. There's just not enough time in the day, you, yeah. need, you know, short form bullets, uh, key, key actions at the top, you know, same with presentations. You know, we have a really strong culture at NetApp around, uh, you know, our, our presentation format. And when we prepare executives to make decisions, you, know, you can't walk into a room, present 10 slides and say, what do you guys think? Will you give me the money? it's very difficult for an executive who's typically plate switching between multiple projects and presenters to make a decision real time. So being able to be, you know, prepare your audience, uh, your formatting of your presentation, start with the three things that you need, whether it's a decision, you know, advice, guidance, whatever it is, but start there. No need for a cliffhanger, right?
2: Yeah. Well, I'll say, I'll say two things. One is um, I'm glad you brought that up because I think, and I've told this to my girls and, and, you know, as a father when they were younger and certainly now in their careers, the your communication skills is the most important skill of any business skill that you have. Um, you could be a genius. And if you lack the communication skills, nobody understands your ideas or, or understands the why. Um, I, when Greg Carver joined our organization a little over four years ago, four and a half years ago as their chief operating officer, one of the things I, I made sure I did is, hey, Greg, tell me, what's the most effective way to communicate with you? How do you like communication? And he goes, I'm a face-to-face guy. I'm a succinct guy. In fact, on that, Dave, if you send me an email that is taller than an, a dollar bill is wide, I won't read past the bottom of it, most likely. And I'm like, I appreciate the advice. It really speaks to your point. Uh, and there are folks on my team who write big narrative emails and I let them know like, email, email is not a good form of communication for anything more than short, concise, and an email should be for information or for action. And if it's a bit of both, then like you said, call those action items out. Uh, I'll just say like, I'm having a reunion with a bunch of my fraternity brothers and there's going to be like 25 of us. And so I sent them an email and the call to action was, Hey, send me photos from uh, when we were in school together and, and here's where to do it. And I literally wrote action items, you know, point and did. And one of the guys sent me goes, "What do you think this is? A business meeting?" I'm like, "No, I, I just know you guys. Like, if I don't call out what you need to do uh, in this email, you're going to hit delete or not or not read it." That's, I, I I was going to say to you, Brian, kudos to you because I know your relationship with James um, is is built on trust, is built on respect, and is built on you getting shit done. And that's why he gives you these opportunities and and works so closely with you. So uh, I think a big takeaway today, not only is think about your career path, but um, are you an effective communicator within the organization? Uh, I've said countless times that marketing is horrible at marketing, marketing. I don't know mm-hmm. if you think that I'll say that marketing is horrible at marketing, marketing, meaning that a lot of what happens in marketing and the success that marketing has happened is not known by the organization. They're so focused on the next campaign, and the next program. They don't take the time to say, here's what we did and the success it had. They're not good chess beaters. Um, and I'm not saying that that's how you should show up is beating your chest. But, gee, let the organization know when you have an impact and what that impact is. And if you did something that didn't, it's OK to be vulnerable and say, this didn't work. Let's not repeat this because uh, that may shut down some crazy ideas that come your way of stuff that doesn't work.
0: You're exactly right, David. And mentors are such a critical component of success for all of us. And I had a mentor in the past who really was trying to coach me on communicating success. And we had a plan and the plan was very simple. You don't need to boast. You don't need to brag. But on a certain set of cadence, share a story, uh, uh, an accomplishment with a broader set of people and start to gain your uh, um, awareness of yourself and what you're delivering, but also gain your confidence and skills around advocating for yourself and for your teams. So, you know, to your point about marketing and marketing, it's, it's critical. Marketing does a lot of really good stuff, but typically no one sees it. They just see the yeah. arts and
2: crafts. Here's, here's the, here's the mentoring that I give marketing organizations and, and certainly clients. And I'll, I'll share it with you. I don't think I've ever said this. When you communicate success, the hero, is the organization, not you. The mm-hmm. hero is the, my my, music, my computer's chiming. Um, the hero is the organization. Because if you're talking about the success the organization had and the impact to the organization, then you don't sound like a chess beater. You sound like a team player who is advancing the organization. So think about, you mentioned PowerPoint or whatever you're using, Communicate Success. Um, there is a way, and and if you need mentorship on it, ask for it. And if you did a successful program, go to your manager and say, "Hey, we just completed this campaign. It seemed like a great success. Seemed like an opportunity to tell the organization um, the the success the company has had around this program. Do you think we should highlight this um, and how maybe go about doing it? Learn learn those skills because who doesn't want to be associated with success? That's the intrinsic thing, but really the motivation is to talk about the impact that you're having on the company because people learn from it. They learn right. from what works. And what doesn't, we will learn more from what doesn't mm-hmm. and from what does very often. Well, Brian, thank you, man, for joining me and for the years of partnership and, and collaboration. It's been really fun to see you guys um, take on new, big, challenging initiatives in a very large, very um, mature organization and act so nimble as as a startup. You have had a plan uh, from the time that you got there. and And from a career perspective, it seems like that plan is paying off for you. So I'm really, really proud of you. Great job.
0: Thank you, yeah, and I appreciate your partnership. It's been really fun over the last five years. Look forward to more of it
2: yeah absolutely the 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 team uh as you know we the team's relationship with NetApp goes back uh, a decade now, and so it's been uh it's been a very interesting time for us to be changing our relationship with you and the initiatives that we're doing and and uh they really feel part of the netapp uh culture and and appreciate that so thank you. give my best to the team I'll let you head into your weekend for for Brian and I right now it's Friday afternoon. And for all of you, um, if you're not getting out there and enjoying the sun or enjoying the moonlight, make sure you get out. It's really important to take uh, time for your mental health. And I know for those of you that are out exercising, walking the dog, um, listening and tuning into Demand Gen Radio, kudos to you because it is great. As as Brian said earlier, always be learning, always developing your expertise. And we hope you are getting that here on Demand Gen Radio. We'll catch you on the next episode. Take care.